have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the mystery of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, the mystery of Christ. We've been working in um, the third chapter here for a couple weeks, and uh, we're working on this digression that Paul sets forth in the first 13 verses. So let's read through them this morning, we'll have some prayer and then we'll get started. And we'll be in time in time for the football game tonight. Amen. Amen. To see the Eagles win. <laughs> oh my goodness. I've lost control this morning. Turn the camera off. The Lord's Word. Chapter three, book of Ephesians, one through thirteen. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, the grace, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, beloved, through the church, the manifold of wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this day, this passage from Paul is so rich in truth and, and uh, so relevant to our lives today. For if there's one time that the world needs the gospel, it's right now. If it's one time that the world needs to know the love of Jesus Christ, it's now, the faith, the forgiveness, the mercy, the cleansing and washing from sin, our nation, our people yearn, they cry out for someone to save them. Father, these words of the gospel that Paul is writing are clear and plain. They're in the pages of scripture, we can read them. And as Paul said here, we can perceive and have insight into your plan, to your glorious gospel, so that we can be saved. Not only saved, Father, but that salvation continues in this place until we're there in glorification. You're sanctifying us. You're pushing away the ill effects of sin in this world and growing us in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And each day we're transformed. What a glorious truth this is this morning. 
Father, I just pray that as I speak this morning that you take my simple words and work in the hearts of your people. Save them, Father. Sanctify them. Grow them in your truth and in the wisdom that is what you're doing in the church. As Paul so ably writes, in Christ Jesus, the mystery. Amen. Amen. Excuse me, I'm very dry this morning for some reason. Must be the food from last night. <clears throat> I did eat too much. There was a lot of food, and it was good. It was very good. Paul writes in this digression this morning about the mystery of Christ, and I, I will just uh, suffice it to say this, this one phrase, the mystery of Christ, has like been burning in my chest. Uh, there's so much glorious truth in this statement, so we're going to look at some of the parts around it and leading up to it this morning. I don't think we'll fully treat it yet, but uh, we'll get into that. The mystery of Christ, and he's specifically speaking about the gospel. And it's no, I mean, he tells us that in verse 6. It's about the gospel going to the, as in the ESV translation says, Gentiles, but that is the Greek word ethnos, where we get the word ethnicities, and it's sometimes or oftentimes translated nation. So it's about Paul's being given a revelation of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And that revelation is the truth that he preaches of the gospel that's for the nations, that saves its hearers, that sanctifies the people of God, that makes us something that we cannot be on our own. Listen, grace restores nature. There's things that you can only get from scripture that you can't do for yourself, that man can't do for you. And that's what Paul's saying here this morning as he says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. For, verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. So that, And these are my three points this morning. When you read, when you read this, this mystery that I've written, these scriptures, you can perceive, read, perceive, and understand or have insight into the mystery of Christ. That you can read that you can perceive and have insight or understanding into the mystery of Christ. So this digression, and we need to set just a little bit of context, because these 13 verses are Paul digressing. He began to say what begins in verse 14. He began to do the second prayer in the book of Ephesians, that these Ephesians might be filled with all the knowledge of the riches and glory of God, that they, they would grab a hold of all of his love, that they would be so filled with everything that God was and all the, uh, the high theological points that he's given us to this point, that they would just zoom, man, that they would be encouraged, that their hearts would be knit together in love and that they would know without a shadow of doubt all the fullness of what God has for you here in this place. That's what I want to know. I want you to know. That's what I want for you this morning is you to be, grab a hold a little bit more of the fullness of who God is so that you can let go a little bit more of the emptiness of this life, right? That's what Paul, it's a pastoral thing because uh, I think pastors spend a lot of time, I know I do, mining these truths and I just... They grow. They just, the mystery of Christ. What is that? It just grows and it burns in my chest. And I, there's so much I want to say. And God's made me a certain way. And I can only say so much. But I want you to know that. I want you to have the hope that's from that. And I believe that's exactly what Paul's pastoral heart was praying here this morning. Listen, he was a murdering thug when he was on his road to Damascus. And he was changed in an instant. Bam! He had an encounter with the risen Lord, and he became, he was before a murdering thug, and he became a mighty missionary. What changes people like that, right? 
And he loved that life, and he was willing to suffer and be in prison. And he got to thinking, and he thought to himself, well, wait a minute, I'm telling them all these glorious things, but here I sit in jail writing this letter, this very letter he wrote from a Roman prison. I've got to, whoa, hope. I've got to backfill this a little bit. Why would I be suffering like this if, I, if the Lord Jesus Christ is so great? And it's in that suffering that he shows us why suffering is so important, because it's in that. And in the way that he suffers, we too can suffer, right? We can be called to the same thing. And beyond that, any suffering that somebody does rightly under the, uh, the hand of working for God, he encourages all those around him. So it's in this digression, Paul is pastorally concerned over the hearts of these Ephesians. He had given them this glorious truth, and now he had to make these two things fit together because he was suffering in prison. But Paul made it clear that it was in these trials uh, he was going through that were for the good of them and for his own good and good for the cause of Christ. And it was in this type of living others would be emboldened and the gospel went forth. Just turn a couple pages over and I want to remind you, this is kind of review and context, but turn to the book of Philippians there in verse chapter 1. It's In my Bible, it's just two pages to your right. Turn there with me in chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. Just a couple of verses there. Let us know kind of what's in the... In fact, if you want to read all of Philippians, we could do that today if you wanted. Just add more time? No. Well... I'll let you do that at home. But if you read Philippians, you would understand Paul's digression much more specifically. Because it's in the letter to the Philippians, which he wrote at the same time, right? Uh, that he gives us more insight to this. He says, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel. That was all that mattered to Paul. It was his life that mattered before the Damascus Road experience. But then all that mattered to Paul after he had an encounter with Jesus was the gospel. That's all that mattered because that's God's plan from beginning to end. So why wouldn't we want to be involved with that? If you knew God's plan from beginning to end, wouldn't you want to be there involved with that? Wouldn't that be the center of your life? Wouldn't you want to know more about it? Wouldn't you feel better? Wouldn't you be encouraged? Like when you look in the world and you see the evil leaders that we have that are doing the most unsophisticated, stupid things you've ever seen in your life, go, yeah, but God's in charge. <laughs> that's what every pastor wants you to feel, right? And then that begins to explain the life he lived. Verse 13, So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Yeah, see, that's the secondary effect. Whenever you stand up and step out, somebody else is willing to stand with you and step along. Okay? They've become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's what we need in our world today. The word without fear. Go on to verse 21 through 26. Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful label for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. You hear that? His imprisonment was for their progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to give glory to Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And I just uh, turn over to chapter 3, verse 8. This is what Paul thought about the world after that Damascus Road experience. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Listen, we're going to learn more about that because it was at that Damascus Road experience he saw how worthless his righteousness was. And I, brothers and sisters, if you'd stand before Christ today, you would see how worthless your works are before the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood it. He's writing it. In fact, he's writing it so that we can understand, right? So that we can read it, uh, we can perceive it, and we can understand it. His righteousness was as filthy rags, as it would say in Isaiah. He was given this stewardship. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. He was given this stewardship in verse 2, and you see it says there, uh, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. It was all a plan of God in redemptive history to give this to Paul. Uh, chapter 1, verse 10 says more about what God is doing in Christ. This is what he's doing. He's recapitulating everything that exists. He is either judging things in Christ or making things new in Christ, okay? There is nothing else going on in the world than those two things today. God is reconciling everything in Christ, Go to verse 10 of chapter 1. We'll just read it very quickly. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. God is either making it new in Christ or judging it in Christ. And Paul understood that the stewardship was given to him and he was happy to suffer for it because it was not for his own glory. He lived his whole life prior to this time for his own glory. And I would remind you this morning that if you're living your life for your own glory, you're actually living it for somebody else's glory. Because if you amass all the wealth like that, uh, uh, the greatest quarterback in the world has ever amassed, like uh, Patrick Mahomes, 50 million, right? If you amass all that money, you're, you're not going to spend that all and you're not going to take it with you. Now, money's not bad on the onset, right? But you are doing it for another's glory. You're, you're going to leave that to somebody. And Paul understood that everything that he was doing was for another's glory because he was doing it for these Ephesians. He was suffering. He was doing this work. He was doing this writing, all of it through God's Holy Spirit for the Ephesians' glory. Not only for the Ephesians' glory, but brother, some uh, 2,000 plus years later, we're standing here today, uh, gathered in this auditorium, and we're reading these same truths, and it was for our glory. So the ultimate work that Paul was doing and the ultimate work we do as believers, even as unbelievers, Scripture tells us without a doubt that everything will be to the glory of God and Jesus Christ. Okay? But he was given this, uh, as we see there, uh, verse 3, chapter 3, how the mystery was uh, made known to me by revelation. It was all of Paul. All of Paul was possible because he had encountered the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. Listen to me. This changed Paul in such a way. I don't know how well you know Paul's life this morning. But Paul, in a moment's notice on the road to Damascus, in fact, he was, and you can read this in Acts chapter 9 if you want to do so later in your notes. He was on the road to Damascus. He had papers from um, the Sanhedrin in Israel to persecute and to bring Christians back for persecution and murder. Paul had not only gathered with the Jews there in the first century to crucify Jesus, but he was also trying to put out or kill all of the Christians that were followers of Jesus. 
They were trying to persecute anybody that was found in the way, as the, as the scripture says there in Acts chapter 9. He was on his way to kill and persecute more Christians. That very day, he had no idea how radically things were about to change. The Lord split the sky. Jesus spoke to them, it says in Hebrews 20, or in Acts 26, 14, spoke to him in the Hebrew language. There was no mistake that this was his Jewish God. This was his Messiah. This was the risen Lord Jesus Christ that who had just moments ago been crucified on a cross on Calvary, had stood before him alive and well and spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Those words are unmistakable. And in that moment in time, in that very second, Everything that Paul thought seemed right before in his life was now so absolutely wrong. And that's what an encounter with Jesus Christ does. That's why you encounter him in the scripture. Because it sends us in the right direction. Beloved, no one can remain the same after an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. No one. None. There's one of two things that happens. Either you fall upon that rock and you're broken into pieces and you repent or you're hardened in your sin because you say, I will not have you as my God. You see, that's what truth from Scripture does. Paul understood that. That's what this writing does. You read something that says marriage is between a man and a woman and, and, and for some people they go, that's right. Praise God. That's his perfect rule and order. Others say no. That's not right. They're confirmed in their sin and their hearts are hardened. All of God's truth, Jesus Christ did that to Paul. All of it will be, Paul was dashed on the rock of offense is what happened. Scripture portrays Christ and the work of Christ as a rock, a rock that either breaks you or crushes you, an encounter that leaves the person forever changed, you, will, you cannot remain the same after an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ because he will judge you and either you will hear the charges of his judgment and repent of your sins or you will harden your hearts and be confirmed in your sins. Multiple scripture points this out as truth. This is what happened to Paul. This is what happens to each of us. This is why the change that we, uh, that we uh, our transformation is so important that we see some type of works change in our lives. Because if you say that you've encountered Jesus Christ, you will not remain the same. 1 Peter 2, 6-8, through don't have to turn there. I'm going to just read these for you. Peter writes, it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. That's in uh, Psalms 2. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe or will not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That is the cornerstone of all of God's building." The one that we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, that the apostles and prophets are the building and Jesus being the cornerstone of the building of the church that God is building. This is his plan from uh, before eternity passed until the end of time and on throughout all of eternity is to bring everyone who is being brought together in Jesus Christ. This is his church. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not, he becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble, it says, because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is not a surprise to God for those who harden their hearts, but yet a righteous judgment of another time where the unrepentant will be 
eternally sorry because they'll remember every time that they were confronted with the truth of the gospel. Isaiah foretells this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, chapter 28, verse 16, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation stone in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, that stone tested, tested by every sin that we were tempted with, yet remains sinless. He's a precious cornerstone, Isaiah says, of a sure foundation. Whoever believes in him will not be in haste. So if God, it is God who sent Christ into the world to be this stone, this stone of judgment and this stone of saving. John 3, 17 and 18, this is just following the most well-recognized verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. A lot of people know that verse, but they are totally without verses 17 and 18, and it gives it context that we so desperately need. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of the Holy God. You see that? If you believe and repent, you're justified. If you don't, you're hardened and just confirmed in the sin that you already have. You're already condemned. And our Lord has recounted these very words in his ministry during his earthly ministry, just following the parable of the tenants there in Matthew when he scolded the Pharisees, he would say in chapter 21, 42 to 46, Jesus said to them, have you ever read in the scriptures? And you know what? These guys were like Paul. They knew the law front to back. Most of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. They not only knew it um, phenomenologically, but they knew it intimately in their hearts. It was driven into them as children. It was part of the way that they would keep the covenant to try to be good by the law. So when Jesus spoke these words to somebody so self-righteous, it just drowns inside of them. Have you ever read the scriptures, Jesus says? When the living word's standing there before you and he looks at you and you said, have you ever read the scriptures, the written word, the stone that he, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing its fruits. Verse 44, this is where I wanted to be. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And Jesus is just saying that when you fall against this stone, this precious tested cornerstone, this, this stone, this rock of Zion that God has brought forth from before the foundation of the world, it's called the covenant of redemption that the Father made with the Son before creation was ever there. When you fall against this rock, You'll either be broken into pieces and sorry for who you were, or you will be crushed by the rock. So I told you all that to tell you this is a picture of Paul's life up until this point. It's a picture of your life. So Paul met, or Saul as he was on the encounter, he was even renamed, he was so changed. No longer was he the old man, but now the new man with a new name and a new game. This is what the rock does. Paul was a murdering, marauding, persecuting, killing thug of Christians. He tried to stop Christianity by killing the people that followed it. He tried to stop the cause of Christ, but in that moment, he was so changed. 
He was turned the total opposite direction. What happened to him? Well, the answer is he encountered Christ. He met love and mercy on the road to Damascus. He found peace. He found the real reason for life. He found all that his heart had been longing for that day. He encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would be forever changed in that moment. Beloved, you need to encounter this Jesus, and the whole world needs to encounter this Jesus. Right? If our world doesn't need that today, it doesn't need anything. Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. I think it's uh, along the same lines here. The same sun, sunshine, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens the others in their sins. The same sun melts wax yet hardens clay. And that's what Jesus does. Whenever he is present, whenever there's an encounter of, of him uh, by anyone, he does not leave a person unchanged. You will be changed. Now, Paul says, well, we can figure out how by read, perceive, and understand. You see that there? I believe it's verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here is when you read what I've written, uh, verse 5, which was made known, uh, excuse me, verse Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Verse 3, verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. In other words, it's by reading Paul's writings, we can read the scripture before us, we can perceive and we can have understanding or insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is what he's saying was revealed to him on the road to Damascus. So it's in all of Paul's writings that we get the mystery of Christ that was revealed to him on the road to Damascus. That we encounter the same Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Beloved, he says, just read it. The Holy Scriptures were given to us as a means to know and understand the living God. And we so sorely don't use them sometimes. Not only to know him, but to know his mind, his will, his character, and his unmitigated glory. To know what the plan from before the foundation of the world is, to know his holiness, to see our sinfulness, and to realize salvation in Jesus Christ. All of these things have been written down. Everything that Paul experienced there on the road to Damascus is before you in this book. If you would just spend time reading it, you can perceive it, he says, and then you can understand it. And in understanding it, have such power and glory in your life that this world can never, ever ever, never, never, ever pull you down. Oh, if there's one thing we need, beloved, it's to know and to perceive and to understand the insight that Paul has given us. In other words, when we read Scripture, we're changed. We're changed. These are God's words, the very truth and breath of God. They give life, they build up, they give hope, they tear down our pride and our selfishness and build up life in us. 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 3, uh, the summation of this truth. And I don't want to beat this too long because it's easily understandable that when we read Scripture, we encounter God. And when we encounter God, we're having the same encounter that Paul is having on the road to Damascus. And that encountering God makes us, well, the Scripture uses the word perfect. 
I can't do that by reading good books that men have written. It doesn't have that effect on me. It can't do that. 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 17 kind of puts it in a nutshell of all the scripture. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving, being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from your childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the Holy Scripture. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the capstone. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You believe that? Yeah, we need that in our society and in our life. Divine truth can only be known by divine revelation. Okay? It can't be part of man's writing. Divine truth can only be known by divine revelation. That's what Paul is saying. He's taken the revelation that he had of Jesus Christ. And I, always, I often, uh, to bring this into modern terms, it's like when Paul met Jesus, everything that Jesus wanted Paul to do in his ministry was downloaded to him in that instant. It's absolutely amazing. So I tell my son several times over that I wish I could just snap in a, a drive, uh, uh, you know, a little uh, drive into my head and download everything and put it right into yours so that you can know everything that I know. It was just given to him all in an instant. I believe that this was his thorn in the flesh that he wanted to not be prideful over. It would have been easy to be lying like it, but it was a divine revelation. It was divine truth. And divine truth can only come from divine revelation. And we have that divine revelation. As Paul says, it's written down for us. So that we can perceive and know. The scripture, and it is the means by which Paul is making known the mystery of Christ, saying, as I have written briefly there in verse 3, written briefly, maybe a bit of a stretch for Paul. He's a little bit uh, humble, I believe, here for a man that wrote uh, 13 books of the 27 books of the New Testament. But it's more than just briefly. It's in-depth and it's quite deep and it will take you the rest of your life to understand and then you'll have eternity to go on even further knowing more than what you could have ever understood in this place. But he says there, and count the patience of our Lord in Second Peter, and Peter agrees with Paul here, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He's giving you time to come to this, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom that was given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, these matters being pertaining to salvation. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. This is nothing new. Uh, people are twisting scriptures today just like they were 2,000 years ago. You therefore, though, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with that type of error of lawless people. Don't lose your stability, Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge. Grow in the grace and knowledge. That No other book can do that for you like the scriptures can. Paul says to read it. You'll perceive it and you'll understand. Only divine truth can save you. Only divine truth can sanctify you. And only divine truth can carry you along in your perseverance until that day you stand before Jesus Christ. Self-help books abound. Why? Because we desire them. People buy them by the bazillions. I mean, the Bible's the best selling book that's ever been published and far exceeds any other book, but self help books is a close second, right? 
but they're written by men. And men's writing can't do what Paul's writing has done through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Men's writing just can't do that. It cannot save you or change you like Scripture can. It can't give you the encounter with Jesus like Scripture can. It can't break you against the rock of offense like Scripture does. Your salvation as Paul's must come from divine truth, for no truth of man can accomplish this work in you. Self-help is a, what's called a, a logical fallacy. In other words, it's a faulty reasoning to make it a little bit simpler. Self-help can't solve spiritual problems because if self is the problem, then self can't be the solution to the problem. Do you see how logic works? Only Jesus can be the solution to the problem. Here's sad effect. Men have the means in their own tongue to save and sanctify, and yet nary a moment set aside to read it on a daily basis, to love it, to perceive its truth, and to understand it and apply it. Oh, beloved, if you would spend more time reading God's word, this is my promise to you. Spend more time reading it, meditating on it, praying over it, understanding it. My promise is to you that this will increase your life. It will increase your joy. It will increase your encouragement. Your daily fortitude will be directly proportionate to the time you spend in the word of God. I promise you, there's been many people sitting in this auditorium that understand that truth. It's directly proportionate to the time you spend in God's word, perceiving and understanding. Paul said that, verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive. It's in the reading that perception comes. You can perceive and that perception becomes understanding into the mystery of Christ. Read, perceive, understand, or gain insight. And this is the sanctifying work of the scriptures, and this is what Paul is telling us this morning, that these New Testament letters do what was done to Paul on the road to Damascus. The very same thing they do today for people that want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They bring you face-to-face encounter with God and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Reading leads to perception. And this is exactly what we're saying earlier about Jesus being the rock. Reading scriptures does one of two things, as I said earlier, just about the encounter with Christ. As you know more about God and the plan of redemptive history, you get perception about life in this world, about the state of being or process of becoming aware of something through the senses. Perception is that. It's sensory. It's our mind using our heart and moving our will. Wait a minute. Did you catch that? The act of perception is a work of the senses. Your senses are involved when you read scripture. It would be like if I should have brought a good illustration of bouncing a big one of those. You ever seen those uh, yoga balls that you set on and try to do this, right? Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But if I brought that this morning, a big red one, you go, wow, big red yoga ball. I can see that. I can take that in and it changes everything when we perceive that. But that works through scripture because it's the truth of God. And it comes into the perception of our senses especially through the work of the heart because God has made us to respond in mind and heart to him. This is our will. Our consciences are set by God and when we read the truth or the knowledge of who God is and what he is doing, it makes an effect on our conscience that becomes cognitive. It moves our heart, mind, and will. Oh, that truth about what Paul says here that we can perceive the mystery of Christ when we read the words of Scripture is unending. 
These words are more than man's words. They sanctify us. They make us new. They restore us. They're building us up. They're making us alive, beloved. Reading then leads to perception, the work of the word in the mind and the heart and the movement of the will. Paul calls this insight or understanding. Almost done here. As I called it earlier, it's just the effective truth of God in man. It never leaves, it never fails to leave man unchanged. It is what Paul immediately understood when he encountered Jesus on that day in the road to Damascus. He thought before he was right, and all that he did, he thought he was right in persecuting and killing Christians, but he was wrong, he was dead wrong. I think volumes of books could be written here, but let me give you just a little bit of an illustration to, to, to drive this point home this morning. Because I think it's so important, just a little bit of an illustration, because this truth accords with what I've previously spoken regarding thinking man and worshiping man, homo sapien and homo adoron. And if you missed that, you can go back and see it because all of the sermon's online, but this is such an important distinction today. We're good at making homo sapiens, thinking men, really good at that. Because the perception of man regarding man's truth will always result in a perverted understanding, though. If you're not worshiping man first, you don't have an understanding about truth because you don't know the God of truth. That's why the whole book of Proverbs was written. I'm convinced of that, but I've just got one verse. I won't read the whole book this morning. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way leads to death. That's Paul's life in a nutshell. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought by going to the council and getting those papers and going and persecuting those Christians that he was doing God a favor. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Be forewarned about that. All of the book of Proverbs leads you in that way. New Jersey, for the last about 20 years, some of you have heard me say this before, some of it will be new this morning, but this is a illustration of there's a way that seems right to a man but in the way it's in leads to death this is an illustration between thinking man homo sapien and worshiping man homo adoron new jersey has for the last 20 years had some of the best schools in the united states of america this is not even close i mean this is this is fact it's been one or two for the last 20 years if you look right now at the status by test scores of schools in new jersey they will rank number one or number two for every year they're good at making homo sapiens. But does that lead to perception and insight, which Paul's speaking of, which gives a man understanding of the mystery of Christ? Does a good education do that? We talked about Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. All those men believed that we could be a virtuous society if we were just educated enough. But Paul's saying, no, it flies totally in the face of that. He, that's just really just ultimately a foolish question. I know with an obvious answer in a group of people like you gathered this Lord's Day that you already know, right? We can't reach one by doing the other. We can't reach God by being a good homo sapien. So New Jersey has great schools, but in comparison, my home state of Missouri ranks somewhere in the 30s, closer to the 40s every year. And you say, well, I can figure that out by listening to you speak. <laughs> there, I got some of you awake. I, I got to give you something good before you're disappointed this afternoon. <laughs> My home state, and I just use it as a comparison, I could use others, ranks closer to 40 out of the 50 states in the level of education when compared with national ranking and test scores. But in New Jersey this year, more than 48,000 preborn babies will be viciously murdered 
in my home state, almost none. There's a huge difference between thinking man and worshiping man. Thinking man, it seems right to him, but he's had no encounter with the living God. Worshiping man, knowing the mind, the heart, the will, and the glory of God would never do that. Thinking man's not enough. We need worshiping men and women. Both states believe they are doing the right thing, beloved. But it's a matter of perception and truth and knowing the mystery of Christ. It is the difference between thinking man and worshiping man. It is the difference between an encounter with Christ that leads to being broken over your sin and repentant and one where you're hardened. It is the mystery of Christ. It's the gospel, beloved. The good news that Christ died so that we can be saved. It is the glorious truth that God came down from heaven to save man. That the Son of God condescended to to be born of a virgin and live a perfect life to fulfill the righteous law of God. Then, on our behalf to be made sin, he who knew no sin was made sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. He took our place. He died for every bad deed that I've ever done. He did it. He loved me enough. It's him that I've encountered, and that's why my life has changed. Because now I'm the righteousness of Christ before God. Beloved, what our world needs, whether they know it or not, is the gospel. They need the Savior, Jesus Christ, don't we all? We need the Jesus who washes away sin, leaving us white as snow. We need the Jesus who sanctifies. We need the Jesus who changes us, making us new. We need the Jesus who justifies us before God. Because that's where our shame and our guilt goes away. This is the hope, the gospel for all of us, whatever our struggles, whatever our sins our temptations, whatever our failures, and I've had plenty, I know you have, is that in Christ we are forgiven and our sins and desires no longer define who we are. As the Apostle Paul wrote, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But we do not hold on to our old sin, so we don't hold on to our old sinful identities, whatever they were, for we have not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, we have been given a spirit of adoption. We've been set free as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Beloved, our hope is in the mystery of Christ, the gospel. It is the plan of God before the foundation of the world to save you, to sanctify you to give you joy and peace and hope. For God gave us a, us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close today. Your new mercies are new every morning. And they're new for us because of what you've done in Jesus Christ. No longer do we have to bear the shame and guilt of our sin. No longer are we a mark for the enemy of this world to fool because in your word you've given us the truth and we are much changed. Oh, how our culture needs to see us enjoy the gospel and be preached the gospel too. 
May we uphold high the mystery of Christ in the gospel, the work of sanctification and salvation in the gospel, and the fruits of peace, joy, love, all the things and works of the Spirit that you've given us. Father, go with us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if the men who are going to do the service this morning would come.